that, that, that was nice. I hope it's true now. We'll see. As my, as my class knows, perhaps it will be, right? <laughs> That's right. I'm certain that perhaps it will be true. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, if you're in Dr. Okello's class, uh, it's, uh, that, was not a, uh, that was not some deep philosophical statement. That was more of our, our little humor joke inside the classroom there. So I, w- I want to talk for just a few minutes um, about um, audacious prayer. And our, our text is going to be a, a very familiar passage, probably one of the most familiar passages in the whole uh, Bible. Uh, it's where the Lord's Prayer is from Matthew chapter 6. And I want to look at um, that text, Matthew 6, uh, chapter, or verses um, 7 through uh, 15. And then we're going to look at a couple other passages in, in Matthew as we uh, focus. But let, let us hear the, the word for us uh, this morning. Uh, When you're praying, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then in this way, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors, and do not bring us to the time of trial, but rescue us from the evil one. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Uh, Let's pray together. Uh, Lord, we are grateful. Thank you for uh, the opportunity to be here in this place. Grateful for Uh, The classes that are going on this week, we pray that they would all be for your glory. And now as we take a few moments to pause and to reflect and to ponder uh, and to open ourselves up before uh, this scripture, we ask God that you would lift it from our our, printed page, from our mobile devices, or even just out of the air as we've heard it, that you'd impress it upon our hearts, our minds, and our very beings so that we might uh, say yes to your call, uh, yes to your mission and uh, yes, uh, to becoming the persons that you've created us to be. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, There's a a famous line that goes all the way back to the uh, Romans, uh, fortune favors the audacious. Uh, Another Roman, Publius Syrus, said, audacity augments courage, uh, hesitations fear. Uh, Benjamin Disraeli, 19th century, said, success is the child of audacity. And an unknown person said, audacity has made kings. <clears throat> now, obviously, all these quotes would fit perfectly into a motivational speech. And when we think of uh, leaders, a lot of times we think about their boldness that they have and following their vision uh, or their audaciousness and taking certain kind of actions. And you see that even in sports figures and other people that actually perform in, at really high level. And so having said that, to say audacious prayer may sound a little awkward. In, in what ways can we be audacious? You know, but I, I want to ask this morning a couple questions as we think about the Lord's Prayer. And, and this is the perfect text because we say it so often, we don't, we don't really even think about what it means most of the time. Um, uh, but have we domesticated prayer so much, and the Lord's Prayer is something has been very much domesticated, um, that we've actually missed the raw power of what's in this psalm on multiple, or on this prayer on multiple levels. Uh, Again, think about the words again, and maybe you can say it in your mind. And I want to suggest that 
this prayer, as you might, is not just for rote memory. Again, this may be one of the most well-memorized passages in the entire Bible. Christians worldwide say this every Sunday. Some of you may share it, use it every single day if you have some kind of uh, kind of systematic prayer time. But when we think about the Lord's Prayer, or if you actually uh, think about any prayer that you show that shows up in the Bible, it's interesting to try to bring some questions to bear on it that might open up some deeper levels of engagement. So when I think about the Lord's Prayer, I ask myself, what kind of person does God imagine me to be to invite me to pray this way? What kind of person does God imagine me to be to invite me to pray this way? Um, or another way to say it, what sort of person do I need to become to pray this prayer with, uh, with integrity? And even what does it say about God that he might invite us to pray this prayer? Now, Jesus begins his public ministry just a few chapters before this in, in chapter 417 in Matthew. And again, we're just barely into chapter 6. This is part of the, um, the, the teaching that Jesus does called the Sermon on the Mount. And when Jesus begins his ministry, he gives us a guide to how to apply and listen to all the words that he says. He says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And that is Jesus's core message, the call for us to continually realign ourselves in light of this new age of salvation, this era of salvation, this renewal when God is going to bring back and uh, David's kingdom when the Son of God is going to come to earth, this kingdom that Jesus is inviting us to be part of in the ultimate move towards new creation that happens at the end. And so Jesus offers this prayer as a kingdom prayer. Again, think about how it begins. Our Father in heaven, may your name be holy. May your kingdom come. Again, Jesus had just preached, realign yourselves, repent for the kingdom is at hand. And now in this model prayer, Jesus is telling us, be audacious, ask God's kingdom to manifest itself fully. And it's audacious because that's a terrifying prayer because the question is, are we really ready for the kingdom to be fully present? And are we going to be the kind of people that would be kingdom people? Now, of course, we're in a seminary, so we all say yes. So let's look at the prayer and see if we're really quite ready, if we're really ready to pray this, uh, this audacious prayer to ask God to make it on earth as it is in heaven and to make us the kind of people that um, live lives that allow God's name to be said to be holy and the kind of lives that uh, uh, practice these disciplines and things that are implied in here. Because we need audacious prayer uh, because we need to be changed disciples so that we can become disciple makers. Because again, read Matthew's gospel. Matthew's gospel is about mission. It ends, as most of you probably know, I know the people in my class do for sure, with the Great Commission where it says, make disciples of all people, uh, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them everything uh, that I commanded you Lo, I am with you always to the ends of the earth. So it imagines this missional movement that goes out into all the world um, and lives and breathes as Jesus' hands, Jesus' feet, Jesus' mouthpieces into the world. And so this is a prayer, that a bold prayer that asks God to help us uh, with our daily needs. And so after we, these, we have these petitions about what we're asking God to do, 
this prayer assumes, again, our desire to live, our desire to embody God's kingdom. Uh, this prayer also assumes something really important about God. Because once you've had these kind of proclamations back to God, these ways of worshiping God, the prayer then shifts to a set of petitions from essentially ourselves asking for something from God. And so this prayer assumes, this is good news, it, pray, it assumes that God cares about our basic needs every day. You know, I can just invite you for you know, a couple minutes to think about different things that maybe bring you some level of anxiety in your life, right? Like maybe paying the tuition bill for Asbury Seminary. I don't know. I mean, I'm paying for my two daughters. Both started college this, um, th- and, uh, this, this fall and, go, and, and actually residential program. So I'm having anxiety about paying even my uh, UF bill that's due, I think, Friday from one of my daughters. I'm like, oh, my gosh. And so, you know, what's making you anxious? And this prayer really teaches us, give us today our daily bread. And that prayer also invites us to even flip that because, you know, I mean, looking around, I'm, uh, again, I, may be, I don't know everybody, but I'm going to guess every, all of us have something to eat today. And, you know, if you're like me, you can go home and probably eat out of your uh, uh, refrigerator, freezer, and uh, pantry for who knows how long, right? Even if it just came down to eating rice and peanut butter every day, we'd probably make it for a long time just out of our stuff, right? Um, but this actually reminds us, though, that there are people around us that don't have their daily bread and reminds us that we are praying not just for ourselves but for others and also being the kind of persons that are going to be generous outside of just our immediate, um, immediate family to be part of um, what God wants to do in the world as we think about people that are hungry um, in our world around us, even sometimes in our own neighborhoods. Uh, so this invites us to think about what kind of persons it look like to be a kingdom person. This prayer also assumes something else about God. Not that just God cares about the details of our lives, right? Doesn't, God doesn't just elsewhere in the Sermon on the Mount, he knows our hairs on our head, though God's getting it, having a little easier with me the older I get, I've noticed. Um, um, but God knows every hair on our head, right? Um, God knows when we're hungry. God knows our worries, and God cares about those things. And it's profound that we and make sure that we understand that. But then also this text, this prayer tells us that God assumes, or this prayer assumes that God actually desires to guide us and protect us from temptations and trials, and that we ourselves are going to be actively resisting those type of things in our lives. So this isn't like, this, this prayer isn't, the, okay, now I've prayed this, I can go put myself in the biggest temptation that, that I might personally face and not worry about it. This is a prayer that actually is assuming that God cares about us and will guide us, and that even when we seem, though, we're, we're, though, even though it seems when we're facing overwhelming circumstances, right? So maybe it's in a pastorate, maybe it's in your family, maybe it's um, in all kinds of different scenarios, that God is going to guide and protect you through that. But then there's, uh, you know, I've skipped something you probably noticed, and I want to focus just for the last couple minutes on, I think, maybe the hardest teaching in the Lord's Prayer, because so far all this stuff's pretty good. Yeah, I want to be the kind of person that's going to glorify the Lord. Um, I'm really grateful that God cares about, you know, my needs. I'm really grateful that God is going to guide me and lead me through my life. But then there's a hard part, because most of this stuff is just us praying and essentially aligning with God and maybe receiving with open hands. But did you notice there is actually one thing that the prayer assumes that we're going to practice in our lives? 
that and it it's explicitly assumes that we're going to practice in our lives. It's uh, that forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And then just to make sure, you know, Jesus just warned about babbling like persons who think you just need to use a lot of words in your prayers. Then Jesus babbles a little bit because he repeats himself again at the very end. So if you're going to repeat, if Jesus is going to repeat any line in here, why does he only pick one part of it to repeat? But, uh, for if, you're, if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, neither will your Father forgive you. A lot of this has been talking about secret actions. Uh, when you read this whole section of Matthew from chapter 6, 1 to 18, it's the Father sees in secret and reward in secret. So, you know, you're supposed to kind of secretly give things so nobody sees it. You're supposed to um, be fasting and, you know, put powder on your face so you don't look like you're starving. Uh, yeah, but in here we have potentially option for a public action, which is, which is forgiveness. Again, I'm not, not going to call somebody for forgive them in front of everybody, but essentially that is a public action because you're engaging somebody directly and they're going to know it if you're actually extending some kind of forgiveness. And, and why is forgiveness so important? Again, my intention with, by raising this text is not to make anybody feel guilty, um, unless you really need to. Um, <laughs> but it's to really just ponder a little bit about what does that actually look like and why might God con connect these things this way. Now, uh, obviously, Jesus is going to tell a really interesting parable in chapter 18. In, in Matthew 18, we have this community teaching that Jesus does, and a lot of it's about um, reconciliation. It's about not causing faults to other people, and this is talking about persons inside the church. So in a sense, um, what Matthew's trying to suggest, if we're going to become the missional people that God wants us to be, um, we need to be a, a, a community of faith that practices forgiveness within it. Uh, we've all probably been in context where you know, Christians on the inside of a community, maybe even the church that you attend or the church that you're trying to lead, um, what really needs to happen is a lot of forgiveness on the inside because that, that basically just kills mission. When the church can't get on the same page because we're distrustful of each other, because we have something against another person, because somebody said something about me 10 years ago and I'm never going to forget it. And we end up creating these little hit lists that essentially um, stifle mission. And so this text is really reminding us of our position. And Jesus does it in a devastating way. Peter comes along in chapter 18. He's heard Jesus talking all about the need to uh, reconcile, to practice forgiveness. And he asks a legitimate question. He comes along and says, um, you know, how many times should we forgive somebody? And you know the story probably. You know, Peter thinks he's doing really well. He goes, should we, you know, should we uh, forgive seven times? You know, that's the number of completeness. I'm going to do it seven times. And, and, but what's Jesus say? Not, not seven. And he says um, 77 times, which essentially means a million times or a gazillion times or every time. And then he tells the story. And you all know the story, right? There's a, he says, the kingdom of heaven. And we just said, may your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So what does forgiveness look like in the kingdom of heaven? Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is like this. It's a king who wished to settle his accounts. <clears throat> and a guy comes before him who owns essentially an unpayable debt, astronomical figure, um, unpayable in this life, and he can't pay. And so the king, his lord, orders him to be sold together with himself, his wife, and his children, 
everything he's ever owned all together to pay back a portion of this debt because he owes that. And so the, the slave falls on his knees and says, you know, have patience with me and I'm going to pay everything. And out of pity, and you have that great word where it basically says had out of compassion, out of pity. We'll see this word in multiple times in Matthew. It's the word that drives Jesus's mission. Out of compassion, out of mercy for other people, this uh, king releases him and completely forgives the debt. Forgive us our sins. But as you also know the story, this doesn't have a happy ending. This person then immediately goes out having been released of a completely unpayable debt by someone massively above him in a social status and, and, and in every other way, this king. And he sees one of his fellow slaves who just owes him a, a, you know, a real amount, but a minuscule amount. And he seizes him by the throat and says, pay what you owe. And the fellow slave falls down and pleads with him just as he had pled with the king. But the guy refuses, and he has him thrown into prison until he could pay his debt. And then his fellow slaves see this, and they report it back to the king. And then the king calls the guy back up and says, You wicked slave, I, forgive you. I forgave you all the debt because you pleaded with me. Should you have not had mercy on your fellow slave as I had mercy on you? And in a loud voice, his Lord handed him over to be tortured until he would pay his entire debt. So my heavenly Father will also do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother or sister from your heart. So here we have in Matthew's gospel basically the same basic phrase repeated three different times. Uh, that makes me stop and think, I wonder if possibly if there's a word for me here. And so the, the questions of being, do I forgive as God has forgiven me? Do you forgive as God has forgiven you? Are there people in your lives that need to be forgiven? Now, this teaching is in line with some things that come out of the Old Testament. Uh, one of the apocrypha books, um, Sirach, or Ben Sirah, or Ecclesiasticus, it has different names, has this. It's almost the same thing. This is um, 28, 1 to 4 in that book. It says, The vengeful will face the Lord's vengeance. Forgive your neighbor the wrong he has done, and then your sin will be pardoned when you pray. Does anyone harbor anger against another, expecting healing from the Lord? If one has mercy towards another like if one has no mercy towards another like himself, can he then seek pardon for his own sins? So forgiveness really matters. I don't need to convince anybody of that, but I want you to think about it. And not and, and I want to flip it here in just a second. You know, um, Reinhold Niebuhr said forgiveness is the final form of love. So it's a natural outflow of a life that's been changed by God. Um, Francis of Assisi. It is, par it is in pardoning that we're pardoned. Mother Teresa said, we must, take our homes, we must make our homes centers of compassion and forgive endlessly. And every parent says, yes, absolutely. Uh, but there's another side to forgiveness that I want to explore, because this isn't a scare message, like, because, uh, um, you know, at some level, sometimes it's, it's not easy to forgive, and I don't have time to go into the whole psychology of forgiveness, because there are, it is hard to forgive some things. We have to recognize that, right? And so God isn't casting judgment on you if you've been, I mean, severely hurt in some way that it's just hard to let go right now, though I believe that God can heal your life and begin to work in that. So this isn't a guilt message for anybody who's feeling like that right now, and there may be somebody here. But what I want you to suggest is that what happens if you don't forgive, other than the scary thing that this verse just said? Um, 
what does it do to yourself that actually makes it impossible to receive God's forgiveness? Uh, Maya Angelou said, it's one of the greatest gifts you can give to yourself to forgive, to forgive everyone. And then author Lewis Smead says, to forgive is to set a prisoner free and discover that that prisoner was you. You know, when we talk about becoming the person that God created us to be, obviously we need to be able to receive God's forgiveness. But one of the things that actually prevents us, because um, again, if you can imagine not being able to forgive somebody else, how can you actually imagine that God could forgive you? And how can you actually open yourself fully to God's forgiveness so that we can begin to become people who um, pass, that, pass God's peace? Again, Paul's going to say some of the same things. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. In Colossians, he says, bear with one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, forgive each other just as the Lord has forgiven you. You know, it's audacious. Uh, forgive us our trespasses. Forgive us our debts as we've forgiven those, uh, as we've forgiven our debtors. Um, friends, Luther said, audacious prayer, which perseveres unflinchingly and seizes not through fear, is well-pleasing to God. Um, you know, my prayer for us today um, is really twofold. I pray that we can become persons who know that they're forgiven. That's a gift of the Spirit in our lives. But I also pray that within our own families, within our own communities of faith, and even as we extend ourselves out in the world, that, is that we can become persons who actually practice radical forgiveness in the same way that God has extended that love to, to us. Um, I can imagine how our world might be prof profoundly changed even in this day when everything seems chaotic, chaotic every time you turn on the TV. If we learn to actually model forgiveness in our own lives one person at a time. So you might want to think about are there people that you need to think about forgiving? Again, forgiveness and reconciliation aren't necessarily the same thing, but in your own mind, because there's some people that maybe even need to release even right now. Let's pray together. And God, we do open ourselves up to you, and we are grateful that you do teach us to pray because you love us. Uh, we're grateful, Lord, for your kingdom because it calls us uh, to become persons that manifest uh, the, the, the values of the kingdom of heaven, those life-changing things. And we pray now and, and give you thanks for your provision. We pray, Lord, and give you thanks for leading us and guiding us in our lives, and we profoundly are grateful for the ways in which you've forgiven us for our sins. And we pray now that you would uh, peer into our lives and open us up in ways that can see, uh, uh, help us to see clearly ways that we can extend that same forgiveness to others being as, and become your instruments of peace, mercy, love, and compassion to the world around us. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.